Hey, welcome back to Sermon Notes, our weekly podcast where we sit down with one of our teachers here at Fellowship Fayetteville and talk about the passage that's being taught. And this week, I'm here with Clark. Hey, Michael, great to be with you this week. Yeah, glad to be here. We've got our producer, Josh, putting it all together for us. And we're turning the page from Jonah to another short Old Testament book, Clark, as we look at the book of Ruth. Yeah, super excited about this. Just getting to uh, look at a what we might call a short story narrative um, of uh, the life of a family in the context of the judges period yeah. in our biblical history. I was going to ask you about that. So before we jump in and look at chapter one, I was wondering if you might just give us a little overview. What does it mean in the very first verse? It says, in the days when the judges ruled. Yeah, in the days when the judges ruled. Um, you know, Michael, if um, if you're familiar with the old panorama timeline, you have the prologue, the patriarchs, the redemption and wanderings, conquest when they go into the land and they assume... Um, the rights to live in these cities. Um, and then they're ruled during this season of about 300 years called we call the judges. And so for those of you um, who are familiar with certain Bible characters, you might be familiar with Gideon and Jephthah and Samson and Deborah. And those are some of the judges that ruled during that time. But during this time, it was actually a pretty dark time in the nation of Israel. Um, and Judges actually says that they did um, evil or they did what is right in their own eyes. And so it was kind of every man for himself, kind of an unruly time. And so um, that's the time frame that this is happening in. And so we get to drop anchor into this, this life of this one family that's experiencing life during this time. And um, specifically, what's going on here is we've got a famine. And um, they are trying to find food. And so um, we get to meet Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons, and they take off from Bethlehem, and they head to the plains of Moab on the other side of the Dead Sea. So we've got a bunch of names here right off the bat yeah. in Ruth chapter 1. Um, are those names important? Are they significant, or are they just odd names that are dropped into the text? You know, I I think there is something to these names, Michael. Um, Elimelech, uh, my God, my king, is what that name infers. Um, Naomi, pleasant, lovely, and then uh, and then you have the two sons, uh, Maclone and Chilion, is how you say that, and it's kind of how they're they're supposed to rhyme, if you will, um, as as brothers there, and so yeah, I think there is something to these names. Uh, maybe there, there's some uh, nuance there to this idea that you know in their in their lineage, in Elimelech's lineage, there's an expectation maybe by his parents that there's something great about this king that was to come through them. And uh, you don't get any sense um, from his name that that's where he was trending um, from a righteous perspective. Right. And uh, so anyway, so there's something to that. Uh, uh, you have any other thoughts on names there, Michael? Yeah, don't don't the son's names mean like sickness and frailty? Yes. So yeah, and and we don't know. You know, they they lose them in Moab, right? And then um, Elimelech actually dies too, and so that kind of sets up the plot that we have in Ruth. Yeah, where she goes from being full to empty. Naomi does. Yes. Yeah, that's right. So what's the deal with Moab? Was that a place that? God would have wanted Elimelech to take his family, you think? No, it's a great question. Um, 
it seems that you, you might could call in a question um, in a moment of famine. Uh, I think a pragmatist or even a good dad would think, okay, I've got a family here. Uh, we're in famine here in Israel. Uh, I've got to go somewhere to find food, and uh, we've got to eat. And so, um, but they go to a pagan nation, yeah. uh, Moab. And so it would be just east of the Dead Sea. You go up around probably the north side and then down a little bit, and then you have Moab. And it's a pagan, um, godless place. And uh, it does seem odd that um, this family would find their way there, but that's where he takes them. And, um, and so it's interesting that he goes to a pagan place to take care of his family instead of some would say he wasn't trusting God in his homeland of Bethlehem, that which is actually the house of bread. Right. In Judah, which is a house of praise. And uh, I think I heard or read one commentator saying that um, they leave the house of bread and the house of praise, and they find themselves in in God's wash basin, basin which is what's uh, it's called in the Psalms, is God refers to Moab as, as his wash basin. Yeah, so that's where the dirty water is that uh-huh. he's rinsed off of the things he wants to keep. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so, so uh, yeah, it's kind of a dark time. Uh, you got to wonder what decisions are being made here. Um, you know, the, the, the passage itself doesn't speak to the whys of that, but there's something going on timing-wise with even in the judges. They seem to be eating the fruit of their sin. There's a lack of, of clear leadership, of godly leadership, righteous leadership. Um, they may be experiencing some of the curses of Deuteronomy 28 to 30, um, as they've forsaken God in some of these generations, and now they're eating the fruit of their sin and they're experiencing the darkness of that. Right, possibly in the form of a famine even, which yeah, is no one doubt. of the things God specifically said he would send That's right. if they were disobedient. And he would He would send famine. It may come through the invasion of a another country. It would dec- um, decimate the land. It could come in the form of God just using natural weather patterns to do that. But that's where we find them, in a famine. So we've got the the family in Moab, and then in verse 4, we're introduced to some significant characters. One's name is Orpah, yep. and the other one is the person the book's named after, Ruth, and they're Moabites. That's right. And, and they've married into Elimelech's family. Yeah, and, it, you know, it, it is interesting. Um, you know, I, I've just assumed, and I'm just admitting this is just my ignorance a little bit here, that um, they, they were forbidden to marry outside of clans in Israel. Right. And um, for sure, pagan nations. Uh, there's no um, strict uh, forbidden command for them to marry a Moabites, but they definitely, if they were going to marry them, they couldn't bring them back into worship. Right. Back to Bethlehem. Okay. And so they couldn't experience that. And so they intermarried in that sense. And um, didn't seem to be looked on favorably, but that's what's happened here. And so we have uh, Naomi with two Moabite daughter-in-laws here, Orpah and Ruth, and uh, that's what she's left with, and that's what her future resides in. And um, so, yeah, uh, two two interesting characters there uh, from Moabite, uh, the, the Moabite women. Yeah, and then what follows is an extended dialogue, primarily yeah. Naomi talking to her daughters-in-law, and then we get a little bit of their response. Yeah, in, in and, chapter one, you know, it's. This whole um, narrative is marked, I, I don't know the actual percentage, but I believe 56 of the 85 verses are dialogue and conversation. Yeah. And so the narrative moves 
through these pivotal conversation moments where the writer is incredibly selective about how to, to move this redemptive story over a period of decades to bring us to a point of what we'll see as redemption. So, so, so the Ruth movie, if we made it, would be a dialogue movie, not an action movie. It That's would what be, you're saying. I think so. It'd have a kind of a biographical narrative to it with a lot of back and forth and a talking um, experience. And it, some, some people wouldn't enjoy that, that kind of movie. <laughs> But, so yeah, that that would be your award yeah. season movie. Yeah, that's right. To win an Oscar. So, that's right. uh, so what about Naomi's conversation with her daughters in law? What what's the big idea of chapter one between the three of them? Yeah. So there's there's a little bit of back and forth, and you know they're wanting to return um, to Bethlehem with her because their future and their identity is wrapped up in in they've actually lost that they've lost their husbands and um, her future heir is is lost. She's lost her husband and her sons. And um, so there's some back and forth in the middle of the narrative here. And um, she's trying to talk him into staying in, in Moab and go back to your homeland, be with your mothers, find a new fresh start with them. And after some back and forth, Orpah decides to stay, but Ruth will not let go. And so that's kind of um, the loyalty theme that we find here in her interaction with Ruth. And even the language for her, she says this, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. And she gets, she gets doggedly loyal here. For where you go, I'll go. Where you lodge, I'll lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. If, you, if that sounds familiar, it's a lot of covenant-sounding language. And it, it, she's re- referencing a very personal view of who Yahweh is. It's not just almighty or El Shaddai, it's, it's Yahweh. There's this personal inference uh, made to God, where you die, I'll die, there will I be buried. And so Naomi, um, as she persists in telling them to go back home, she relents here and allows Ruth to come with her. And so those two make their way back to Bethlehem because they've heard that there's food now in the land, and uh, they find that there's harvest season. And so I think what you have here is this resolute loyalty. And uh, interestingly enough, it's an Old Testament form of what we might call repentance, this abandonment to her gods to pursue life under the reign of what we would call the one true God, Yahweh. So that's part of what happens here in their dialogue, and they find themselves back back in Bethlehem. And then we have this really significant passage, uh, beginning in verse 20, where Naomi says, Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. So the yeah. Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. What yeah. What do you make of that? What What's Naomi's relationship with the Lord, with Yahweh, at this point in the story? Well, and you know, she says, "I went away full, and the Lord's brought me back empty." It feels like um, this is not the life she she thought she signed up for. This is not what the way it was supposed to end. Um, this is not the fullness that. Um, a follower of Yahweh should be experiencing. And so um, I I just think it's instructive and interesting that she gets very, um, you know, reflective. I'm wondering if she's wondering, you know, what did I do to deserve this ending? And how did I find myself here? Did I, was Elimelech the, the right man? Did we make the right decision by going to Moab? Um, should my should I let my sons have married these Moabite daughters? 
you know, is there something I've done personally against the Lord that he would find displeasure with me and cause this? I mean, she uses this word uh, calamity, and she actually says, has the Lord's testified against me. Like, there's this, this sense that God is working against her now. And I'm not so sure that maybe we don't at least think some of those things sometimes when bad things come our way. Right. Or circumstances um, in our lives don't don't go our way. Or maybe we're just eating the fruit of our bad choices even. And so I think you have some of that going on here. And I got to admit, I mean, I can see how, given her circumstance, how she could get there. And, you know, Michael, it could even be that... Um, you know, time and chance happen to all, and in God's providential care, He takes those circumstances and He uses them for a bigger purpose. And we know in the New Testament that He uses those things to mold us in the image of His Son. Now, maybe she definitely didn't have that perspective right. at the time, given her circumstance. Um, but I think that's part of what's happening here, and it's you know, it's, it's the bitterness, this bitter water that she's drinking now, and uh, this is just not the way life was supposed to be. Yeah, and so, um, and then given the cultural context, her hope of security in a husband, in provision, in an heir, in a piece of property, in a land, even to get old with grandchildren and have a place and a purpose in their community, is gone at this point. And yeah. so we find her empty. Yeah, literally, and and she feels that right now. Yeah. And so there may be more there, but those are just some things I think we all wrestle with, and she's asking the questions. Yeah, yeah, questions sure. that we all ask during difficult seasons of our life. Oh, yeah. And then verse 22, it's the whole chapter ends with, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Yeah, wow. Starts in famine, ends in harvest. She starts full. She finds herself empty. And there's a collision, there's these paradoxes that are forming that to form the tension of the story, I think. Yeah. And I think we we find ourselves, I mean, decades have passed in these 22 verses, and we find ourselves, I think, uh, you know, it's just like watching any good um, miniseries where you're seeing the credits run and you're going, man, I, how is this going to resolve itself? Right. What's coming? Yeah. Is there hope for her? What kind of life are they going to have now in Bethlehem, in this house of bread during barley harvest? It's likely early April, as far as our calendar year goes. And, you know, Michael, I think um, not to, and I won't give the story away because that's what's fun about this narrative, um, but you do sense that there is something better because they find themselves in harvest, and you got to wonder if she, you know, if she's thinking, you know, I've come back home, how am I going to be received? Um, you know, what is my future? What is my hope? Is there an heir? Could there be something that God does in the details of my life to give me something worth living for? Yeah. And so I feel like it's kind of a an Old Testament gospel setup. And since you and I know the rest of the story, it's hard not to go there, but yeah. we'll get there. Yeah. And, uh, and you're going to be with us. Next week. That's right. And so you're going to get to untangle uh, more dialogue and uh, begin to paint the picture of what God has for, for, for both Ruth and Naomi. Yeah, yeah. So It's going to be yeah. fun looking it's at it good. together. 
Well, hey, thanks for joining us on Sermon Notes this week, and I hope you'll stick with us and continue to process this little gem that's just tucked away in the Old Testament, the book of Ruth, and we'll move into chapters two and three next time on Sermon Notes. Sermon Notes.